come now to a second sermon on divorce. And not everyone here is married. We all have different marital status. But however, I think we all know someone that's been through divorce if we haven't ourselves. And so I, I pray that as uh, we study this last week and this week that uh, you will find uh, this very helpful in your understanding of this very complicated and sensitive subject. Most preachers approach a sermon on divorce with a good measure of trepidation. Preachers know that there are folk listening who have been hurt by the trauma of divorce. There will be people here who have lived through the agony of divorce, either because they are a husband and wife and they were divorced, or because they are children of a family that was broken up by divorce. So the challenge for myself as a preacher is how to be faithful to the tough words of the Bible while extending God's grace. On top of this, myself being divorced adds an extra complication. Uh, Judy and I have been married for 26 years, but I was married for five years before that. So let me share a personal story about the challenge that I have as a preacher speaking on this topic. When my first marriage collapsed, I was coming to terms with having two wonderful preschoolers, but only accessing them every fortnight for a weekend. And I remember catching up with my minister at the time, who was very supportive. His name was Paul. And as we were finishing up in his office, he said, do you know John was in this week talking to me, and he's considering a divorce himself. When I knew John, uh, I knew John, I'd been in a home group with him and his wife for a wee time, and I knew that they had little children. And so I said to Paul, doesn't he know how difficult this will be for his children? And Paul sighed and said, that's exactly what I said. And he replied, but look how well Douglas's children are doing. Broke my heart. Still does, nearly 30 years later. I was devastated. How could someone be so selfish as to minimise the impact of divorce on children? How could someone use my children's struggles to justify breaking up their marriage? And so this is my concern today, that someone will see past God's word and will use my example to justify breaking up their marriage. Heaven forbid. I think we better pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, as we come to this sensitive subject, which is personal to so many of us, especially the preacher, we pray that your spirit will guide our thoughts and the words. May we take away what we need to take away from this delicate subject, and may in all these things, may Christ be honoured in Jesus' name. In our series through Mark's Gospel, we're at chapter 10. And if I had an opportunity to cut a little section out of the Bible, I might have cut this section out. It would have made my life a lot easier. But it's important that we cover this topic, divorce. Now, I encourage you to listen to last week's message because I haven't got time to go through everything that we went through last week. But I will briefly recap. Jesus is teaching the crowds, and then the Pharisees come up and try and trap them. They try and trap him in his words over the tricky issue of divorce. And even though the initial question is an innocent, Jesus sees through that trap and will not be drawn in. And so what he does is he explains that divorce was not a right, standard practice in God's mind, but was permitted by Moses because of the hard hearts of the people. 
And then Jesus went right back to Genesis 1 and 2 from when Adam and Eve first received marriage, the wonderful gift of marriage from God. And from first principles, Jesus reinforced that marriage is between male and female, exclusive and lifelong. And he finished with these words, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And that finished the public discussion on marriage. But the disciples were taken back just as much as the Pharisees. They also thought divorce was standard practice. And so they take it up with Jesus uh, later on. And so if we turn to Mark chapter 10, you'll have that in your handout. Mark chapter 10, verse 10. You'll pick up these words. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So here we have Jesus making it even harder. Anyone who divorces their wife breaks the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so in Mark's Gospel, divorce is off the table. There's no wriggle room. Jesus has shut the door. So how are we going to make sense of this contentious issue, these tough words of Jesus? Well, God is gracious. God is gracious beyond what we deserve. And so God did not just give us one book to make up the Bible. He gave us 66. He didn't just give us one gospel that talks about the life of Jesus. He gave us four So as we look further into the New Testament, we're going to find that there are two biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage. That's what we're going to look in now. And as we do, we're going to see three things. First of all, we're going to look at the biblical grounds of divorce, for which there are two. We're then going to look at two examples of divorce in the Bible. One was very bad and one was, well, for a divorce, not so bad. And then we're going to look at the implications for us who live in New Zealand where divorce is very freely attained. It's very easy in New Zealand to get a divorce. So first of all, what are the biblical grounds for divorce? And to find that, we need to look at Matthew's account of the same confrontation between the Pharisees with Jesus. So as you're reading through the Gospels, you will notice that some of the stories and some of the teaching is repeated more than once. So when you come across a story or teaching, especially that's a head-scratcher in the Gospels, it's very good to, to look at to see how the other Gospel writers described that teaching or that event. And so if we turn to Matthew 19, and again, you'll have that in your handout, we have Matthew's account of the same confrontation. Now, we haven't time to, to pick up the whole story, but we'll pick it up from Matthew 19, verse Uh, Verse 6, and we'll see Jesus again emphasizing that husband and wife are one flesh. Show from verse verse 6. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But that is not the way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. 
Did you notice what was the same between Matthew and Mark's account? What was saying was that Moses permitted divorce. There needed to be a legal document, a certificate to make it happen. It was never God's intention. It was just because the people's hearts were hard. And then there's this wonderful appeal back to Genesis and first principles. But did you notice what was different in Matthew's account? Did you notice the exception that Matthew included that Mark didn't? Except for, except for sexual immorality. I'll read that again. I tell you the truth, this is verse 9, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And so we have here the first grounds for divorce and remarriage. Uh, if your spouse is unfaithful, has an affair, cheats on you, commits adultery, then divorce and remarriage becomes an option. It's the first biblical grounds for divorce that you'll find. Well, what's the second grounds for divorce? Well, for this we need to turn to Corinthians and Corinthians uh, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here we have the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and this is what he says from verse 12. Chapter 7, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Where you see the word brother, read Christian. If any Christian has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman, Christian woman, has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So this is the context. If you are married to if you're a Christian, you're married to a non-Christian, you as a Christian are not to initiate divorce. That's the biblical expectation here. However, a few verses later in verse 15, we have this. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The Christian, the brother or sister, is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So here we have the second grounds, the second biblical ground for divorce in the Bible, and that's abandonment. If you're a Christian and you are abandoned by your spouse, and of course in the Greek culture, this was the way that a husband or wife could divorce. They just walked out. In the Jewish culture, it was mainly the man who initiated divorce. The woman had a lot less rights. In the Greek culture, where Paul is writing, then either the man or woman could just leave. And then that was considered a divorce-type situation. And so if you're a Christian and your spouse walks out on you, abandons the marriage then that is a grounds for divorce. You are not bound in such a circumstance. So unfaithfulness and abandonment are the two biblical grounds for divorce. There are no others. This brings us now to two biblical examples. It's always good once you talk about a principle to look at some examples to help us understand or to see the principles in action. So there are two examples of divorce in the Bible that I want to spend some time with. One is done very badly, and one was done very well. Well, as well as any divorce. <laughs> so what was the divorce that went very badly? Well, we need to go to the woman at the well. You may remember the story. It's found, it's found in John, in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. 
you'll see the woman in the well. So what happens? Jesus and the disciples are on the road. It's hot and it's dusty. They're tired. They come to a village where the well is on the outside, just outside the gates of the village. And so the disciples leave Jesus by the well and they go into the village to buy some food. And then what happens is one of the residents of the village comes out to collect water and she has a conversation with Jesus. And as the conversation progresses, we have this. We pick this up here in chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus says, oh, can you go and get your husband and come back? And she replied in verse 17, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And so here we have a woman that's had five divorces and is in a de facto relationship. Here is an example of divorce done badly. This is exactly what Jesus was teaching against in Mark 10. Because in Jesus' day, all a man had to do was write a certificate and his wife was divorced. And so you had this situation where this woman at the well had been divorced five times. And Jesus is saying, that has to stop. You can't do that. And this also helps us explain why Jesus was so tough in Mark 10. You see, in Mark 10, it was a confrontation. The Pharisees were trying to trap him. Jesus responds, like with like. They're trying to trap me. I will be firm and clear and direct. But now we have a pastoral situation. Here we have a conversation between a friendly seeker who's asking genuine questions. And though Jesus knew the woman was divorced multiple times from the get-go, he treats her with warmth and respect. Notice the difference? Confrontation in Mark 10, putting the Pharisees in their place. Here we have in John 4 a lovely pastoral exchange between Jesus and a multiply, multiple divorced woman. And there's a surprise here too, a wonderful surprise, because this woman becomes a very effective evangelist. She goes back to the village and tells people, come and see Jesus. He's told me everything I've ever done. Come and meet Jesus. And so the friends come out, so that we read in John 4.39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. How amazing is that? The woman who had been divorced five times becomes one of the most effective evangelists in the Gospels. You look through the Gospels and you find someone else that brought multiple people to Jesus and then those people said, we believe because of your testimony about Jesus. You won't find anyone except this divorced woman by the well. Now even though this is an example of divorce done badly, didn't it end well? Why did it end well? Because she invited Jesus into her situation. Though she was multiply divorced and would have had the shame of the village on her, she was living with a man, Jesus taught her, treated her with respect and dignity and her life was transformed because Jesus was brought into her situation. So that's the first example. Divorce done badly, though with a surprising end. We come now to a divorce that's done as well as you can and I think you'll be surprised 
even shocked as we go through this example. And I know some of you are scratching your heads and thinking, where's another example in the Bible where there's a divorce that's done well? And when I mean it's done well, it's done well on the basis of abandonment and sexual immorality or adultery. Adultery. So Isaiah 50 verse 1, this is what the Lord says, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Because of your transgressions, your mother was sent away. What we have here is not only a God-initiated divorce, but we have God divorcing someone. God is divorcing someone, and we have to think why, and on what grounds is God divorcing someone? Well, it's because Israel had done two things. Israel had abandoned God, and they were worshipping idols of wood and stone. Now, what are the two conditions, the biblical conditions for divorce? Abandoning your spouse and having an extramarital affair. Either one of those is grounds for divorce. Israel did both. They abandoned God, they worshipped idols, and the Bible often talked about idol worship as adultery. Their hearts had become hard towards the living God. Their hearts were calloused to God, their maker, to their husband. God looked upon Israel as a bride, as a groom looks upon his bride, and they rejected him. And God did not do this lightly. Time and time again, over many generations, God sent prophets to Israel to call them back. And often they would use the image of an unfaithful wife being called back to their husband. But their hearts were hardened. God even sent difficult times and enemies to shock them back and coming, returning to their first love, but they refused. So God, because of their unfaithfulness, because they had abandoned them, God wrote a certificate of divorce and sent them away. God divorces people. It was unpleasant, it was ugly, and it was painful. But notice that God was consistent with his own principles. Even after many, many opportunities to reconcile, Israel turned their back, the certificate written, the divorce happened. So there we have two examples of divorce in the Bible, the woman at the well and God himself. None of them were pleasant. They were both difficult. So what are the implications for us? Christians who live in a country where divorce is common and easy to obtain. Well, to help counter this attitude, which unfortunately has even crept into some church circles, let's go back to Jesus' words in Mark 10. Mark 10. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one, one flesh. And this is key to understanding how we apply divorce in our New Zealand context. You see, what makes divorce so hateful to God and so painful to us is the ripping and the rendering and the wrenching as one flesh, as husband and wife, are torn apart. In fact, so complete is the oneness of husband and wife and so severe the trauma of divorce, it's like an amputation. Divorce is a physical, spiritual, emotional amputation. 
So I want you to imagine this. What would people think of a doctor whose common practice was to amputate? And so, we imagine this doctor in his surgery and someone comes in limping a little bit because of a sprained ankle and a doctor examines the person and says, well, amputate. Hang on a minute, doctor. Is there another option? No, we're going to amputate. Later on, another person comes in with a suspected uh, broken arm and the doctor takes an x-ray and examines and says, we'll amputate. And the person says, hang on a minute, doctor. Is there another option? And the doctor says, no, we'll amputate. Now, what would you think if that was your GP or your doctor? What would you think of a doctor whose solution to almost every medical problem was to cut off or cut out the offending part? Unfortunately, that is the attitude of many people in New Zealand when it comes to divorce. When there is a trouble in a marriage, significant trouble in a marriage, their first thought is divorce. People say, hang on a minute, isn't there another option? And yes, there are. Lots of options. But in New Zealand, it has creeped in, and not everyone, not everyone, but it is an increasingly common thought that when marriage is in trouble, the first option is to divorce or amputate. This is exactly why we need to heed Jesus' words in Mark 10, no matter how tough they are. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. However, From time to time, in extreme circumstances, a doctor will need to amputate to save a limb or even save a life. It's true, isn't it? And it's extreme. Amputation is extreme. It's a last resort, and it's what nobody wants. But it's for the best. Likewise, the Bible teaches that in extreme and rare circumstances, divorce is what's needed. And a sermon like this, raises more questions than we have time to answer, especially around remarriage. A couple of questions we haven't got time to really answer, but I'm sure people will be thinking, what if someone divorces on grounds outside the criteria that we've discussed? What if there's a divorce that happens and there has been no abandonment and there has been no extramarital affair? What then? What's then if you've remarried? Or what if you're the one who cheated? What if you, years ago, what about if you were the one that walked out, now you've become a Christian since then and you're remarried? What then? Wow. Now it's clear that some remarriages have not started off on the best footing. However, divorce and remarriage is not the unforgivable sin. And I'll say that again. Divorce and remarriage is not the unforgivable sin. Give your remarriage to God. Seek forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. And remember, God is the God of the second chance. And his desire is that for your marriage, no matter what footing it started on, and you can say that for first marriages as for second marriages, no matter where you are, God's desire for you is that you give that marriage to him. You invite Jesus into your marriage so that he might be honoured in the most important relationship you have outside you're one with God. So today, uh, what have we seen? What have we seen? We've seen the biblical grounds for divorce, and we've seen that there are two, abandonment and unfaithfulness. We've seen two examples of divorce, both with a bit of a surprise. Both with a bit of a surprise. The woman with the five divorces and God himself divorcing Israel. And we've seen that uh, even though divorce is very easy in New Zealand, it's like an amputation. 
and we should treat a divorce exactly the same way as if you had to have an arm or a leg cut off and treat it very seriously. And so for those who are married, let us not take for granted our spouse or our marriage. Let us put that extra energy to enrich it, make it fun, make it healthy, make it God-honouring. For those who are single now and may enter marriage at a later date, consider carefully as you commit to marriage because the Bible is clear. It's a serious commitment. It is between man and woman, exclusive and lifelong. And for a final word, for those who may be considering divorce, I hope there's no one here listening that is, but maybe there is someone here considering divorce. Don't use my example or the example of other healthy successful Christian remarriages as an excuse for you to go and be divorced. In fact, if you're considering divorce, if you spent half the amount of energy that you are now looking and considering the divorce actions, if you spent half that amount of energy and you put that into renewing your marriage, then you will find that God will honour that commitment and rekindle that first love that you had. I'll say that again. If you're thinking about divorce, if you put half the energy into your current marriage, into making it healthy and fun and vibrant, God will honour that and rekindle your first love. For Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 9, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's pray. I think everyone was a bit surprised, Lord, by what we heard this morning. Even I was when I was preparing this. But we thank you, Lord, that in your grace and your mercy, you are the God of the second chance. Help us all, Lord, who are married, not to take it for granted. May we never look at divorce as an option, but keep looking to you as the answer of any problems that come up in our marriage. For those of us that are single, Lord, may we lift up to our singleness before you and, and use that to glorify you. And if somewhere down the track you want us to marry, that's wonderful and exciting, but we give that to you. And for those of us, Lord, that have family members, Lord, children or grandchildren that are, that are in a situation where divorce is on the cards or, or they're grappling with a breakup of a marriage, we pray your blessings upon them. Help us as family to be supportive and encouraging as all the ways that we can. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.